If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And Midi can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. Hey, Fade to Gray family, this is Chris. Fade to Gray is brought to you by the wonderful members of our Patreon who have decided that they'd like to spend at least $1 a month supporting the podcast. You can help Fade to Gray continue to put out great quality episodes like the one you're about to listen to right now. Some of the benefits of joining our Patreon group are bonus episodes. For an example, we did a bonus episode with Matt Carter that many of you have never heard because you're not part of the Patreon. We'll drop you into our exclusive Marco Polo group where you can chat with all of us and many of our guests. Head on over to fadedegraypodcast.com and sign up to be part of our family today. Ladies and idiots. This is the Fade to Gray Podcast. Is there a God? I do believe in Jesus and I do believe in God. I just think religion fucks up everything. You can't go there. Jesus deserves a better Christianity. God was breathing. God was water. God was shoved down your throat. We just don't know, and nobody wants to admit it. Christianity is like autism. There's a wide spectrum of it. This changes everything. What is up, Fade to Gray family? As you know, Fade to Gray is creating space for those that have been displaced by their faith, and our guest today definitely falls in that category. He's a former pastor and a member of the Clergy Project, which is a safe place for former religious professionals who no longer have supernatural beliefs. More recently, he was diagnosed with ALS and is now working to get assisted suicide legalized in his state. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Dave Warnock. Yeah, Dave, welcome to Fade to Gray. Welcome. Mm-hmm. Glad Absolutely. to be here, guys. Glad you stopped by uh, Fade to Gray on the whole farewell tour, man honored truly truly honored thank you and and now have have you have you officially given it a name or are you just kind of throwing around a couple things and seeing what sticks yeah i'll throw it out on the wall and see what sticks a farewell tour dave's last ride dying out loud um that's pretty much it i, I guess. like that one dying out loud like yeah that seems i to mean be these the, are all names of comedy favorite. specials it seems like <laughs> that, that, yeah that seems to be the favorite so far so, I mean, you have a great sense of humor about it. So, but for the listeners that don't know, um, kind of give us a little backstory. What's, what's going on? I mean, why are you checking out um, assisted suicide? I mean, just having a bad week or what's going on? Yeah, you know, I just woke up one morning and said, you know what? I think I just want to figure out how to die. Um, <laughs> no, I, I, I got the diagnosis a couple of months ago. Maybe it's been, let's see, toward the end of February um, that I have ALS. I've been having symptoms uh, that were, you know, stuff like that starts out slow. You don't really pay attention to it. You're, you're thinking, okay, I'm just getting weak. I need to exercise more whatever. This isn't working. I need to do some hand exercises. It started in my fingers and my hands. I started having trouble doing simple things with my fingers and hands and arm strength was, was fading. And I thought, okay, I got to work out. I'm getting soft. And I'm getting old, you know, I'm 63, so I thought, okay, this is just age and all that. So a lot of that just kind of uh, went went unnoticed. And then a few specific moments, I couldn't grip a bowling ball when I was trying to bowl, and I couldn't grip a golf club when I was trying to, you know, hit some golf balls. And things like that let me know that something was seriously wrong. And so after the first of the year, because of insurance deductibles and those kind of things that are fun in this country, um, mm. I went to start it. I knew that once I started seeing doctors that I would, that it would be a process of, of, um, specialists and tests and those kind of things. And so sure enough, it was, and over the course of about a month, month and a half, um, I had the requisite tests and the doctors I saw and came away with the conclusive diagnosis of ALS. Wow. Sorry. Sorry to hear that, man. That's, that's rough. And, um, we're definitely getting to a lot more of that. I know Seth was triggered by something earlier. Did you want to clarify for anything for the listeners or your facial expressions or fit, Seth? Well, Dave, I just want to first introduce myself. I'm Seth. I know we introduced at the beginning, but yeah. I'm a licensed clinical social worker and I've worked oh, okay. for 
a crisis line for four years, just recently left that job to work for an insurance company. But uh, my experience, you know, I work with suicide frequently. Mm -hmm. And I just, you know, as we talk about suicide and assisted suicide, I, I think it's really important that we look at kind of the reasons for it. And I think we're going to get into that with your story. But people have suicidal thoughts every day, you know, over over small things. Mm-hmm. Not always these massive, very serious medical diagnoses, which justify something like assisted suicide. So mm-hmm. I just wanted to, you know, just throwing that in as we so, head down. So this there's path. your public service announcement. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and we're going to get into that a little bit later because we were talking about this in preparation and we're kind of all over the place on yeah. you know whether or not we think it, like the legality and different things like that. And obviously, like, I mean, spoiler spoiler alert, man, I'm, I'm, I'm right there with you. I think that you should definitely like, have that right to, you know, go out with dignity, especially with something as serious as, like, the ALS where there is no cure and, it, and the way your body just shuts down is terrifying. Yeah, it's the thing. It's, about, a lot of people know ALS is a thing, and some of your listeners will be going, okay, ALS, I know that's a thing, and I know it's not good, and... They probably just remember the ice bucket challenge. That's it. And But when you say Lou Gehrig's disease, they go, oh... Okay, yeah, and they connect the dots a little bit, and then, but only when you get online and and look up what this is and what it ends up being, um, that's when the shit gets real, and you think, oh, yeah, this is not good. The average yeah. lifespan from onset of symptoms is three to five years, and I've had symptoms about a year, so do the math. Um, and so it, but it gets progressively worse, and you lose you lose more and more faculties and you you are able to do fewer and fewer things and so someone like me I I just and I've always had this position I I don't want to live it's not about living every last day I can live I want to live good days and I want to live a quality of life that I'm happy with but when that is compromised to a degree that I'm not happy with then I'm ready to check out and I don't yeah. think there's anything wrong with that. Now, as a person who doesn't have a fatal illness, that that can be – there's a lot of different ideas about that. But someone who's clearly mm-hmm. diagnosed with something that is not going to get better, right. and your your lifespan is significantly shortened, and, and, and even with that, the, the very end of your lifespan with something like this is really hideous. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, that should not be a question in any state in this country. It should be – uh, we should be allowed to exit with dignity. Mm-hmm. And there's only five states, right, that, that do allow for assisted suicide. Yeah, I think it's yeah. actually maybe a couple more than that. Uh, it's They're all liberal states, of course. Colorado, Oregon, Washington, California. I think New Jersey was just added to that and Washington, D.C. So it's it's growing slowly, but, you know, it's not fast enough. So. It won't, you know, it won't ever, I, it won't happen here before I'm ready for it. I, I could, I can guarantee you that those kind of wheels turn slow. Yeah. Yeah. This is a tough subject. My girlfriend really hates talking about this. She's, she's really wanting to, um, do everything we can to prolong my functionality in my life in hopes that maybe there's something they find right, right. around the corner, you know? Yeah. So, and so you go to a lot of prayer meetings then, right? Yeah. We're praying, we're praying. Thoughts and prayers. Thoughts and prayers. <laughs> so, so that's how we can kind of segue and like maybe get some more of your story. I mean, because you're you're a minister, you did it all. You were behind the pulpit, so I mean, you have to have a good like prayer support system where you're going. You know, getting laid on the hands and oh, it's so funny. And... I had I I used to be a Christian for uh, from the age of eighteen till about fifty five. So the better part of three and a half decades. And a good part of that was in ministry, not not a full uh, career of, of, of being a pastor, but I had a lot of years when I was on staff at churches and all kinds of different ministerial positions. Um, but I, I play poker on a regular basis with some buddies who are what I call my holdover friends from my Christian days. They're, they used to, all, Everyone at this poker table used to be in my church. I was their pastor. And now they know I don't believe any of this shit. And, um, you know, and, and, but every now and then they'll drop in things like, oh man, we know, we know you, we saw the anointing. We know what we saw. You're going to get it back. You're coming back. I say, no, I'm not. I'm just not. And so, 
the first time we played after they got the diagnosis that they were all emotional and and tony showed up and he <laughs> he'd been at a predators game a hockey game and he was already three sheets to the wind when he showed up and um that means drunk in the south i don't know <laughs> oh, yeah. um so, I hope you clean these guys out. Too. Oh that, God, I took the their the money story. so bad. Um, but yeah, he was take all emotional. Yeah, we took an <laughs> offering. Um, he's he started crying. He said, "Brother Dave, let me pray for you. I just know God can heal you." <laughs> and I said, "No, you're not praying for me. No, He can't heal me because He's not there." And so I said, "Sit down, shut up, and deal." But he was uh, he was drunk, so I gave him a pass. Can we hear that that story? Of how you went from being very involved in the faith to not? Is that because of ALS or was that oh, a no, process no. in and of itself? I mean, I really want to hear that story and, and really understand how you got to where you are now. Yeah, I, I think with as with most as with most of us who exit Christianity, there's a it's a process. It's a long process. It's a death of a thousand cuts, as they say. And that was for me. I, I'd been a Christian all of my adult life, and it was a very devoted one. I was a teacher, preacher, prayer leader, all the stuff, worship leader. Um, and, and and all of us have those times in our lives, if we look back, where we kind of wondered, okay, where was God in that? And this didn't add up, and that didn't add up. But we push it aside, and we whack a mole, and we push that down, and we move on. But um, about, what is t- 2019? About eight years ago. I, well, really about 10 years ago, I was I was at, on staff at a church, and I was an associate, and I was assigned a satellite congregation. I was I was the pastor of a smaller church within the big megachurch uh, network, so to speak. And this guy was a real narcissistic, um, controlling, manipulative pastor. And I knew that before I even went on staff, but I wanted to serve God, and I wanted to serve people, and that was my calling, I thought. So I took the assignment and started pastoring this church and did that for about a year, and it, it grew great. It, it really flourished, and, and he and I just clashed, and we did not, you know, he, he needed people around him who, who wanted to kiss his ass, and I'm really just not a, a good ass kisser. And so that was trouble. And anyway, I ended up getting fired from that position because he called uh, called me independent, I didn't, I wasn't a team player, so on and so forth. So when that happened, my two older daughters, I have three kids, two daughters and a son. They were in the church with me. They were married. They are married, but their husbands were on uh, in, in an intern program at that church to become pastors. And so he basically turned them against me in in a way that. Only someone like that could do. His his church had gotten very cultish by then, and uh, they practiced shunning. And so, may I ask what denomination it was? It was Foursquare. Oh, uh, is that typical for Foursquare? No, shun? no, it's and, not. And it it's not so. typical at all. It's so just that was this definitely the pastor's personality. Yeah, it's just this one guy that thinks he's the expert on church discipline, and he's known for splitting families apart and that sort of thing. He takes some devilish pride in it. So I was turned over wow. to Satan for the destruction of the flesh so that the spirit could be saved, according to the scripture. And um, anyway, essentially, my daughters were put in the position of having to choose between their dad and God. And being trained to be faithful Christians, they chose God. And I never do fault them for that. I totally understood where they were coming from. They were devout in their desire to do the right thing. So I was shunned, and my wife was shunned along with me. And that went on for a couple of years, and I was still a Christian at this time, mind you. But how old were your daughters at that point? Uh, they were about they were in their late twenties. Okay, so they were they were adults. Yeah, they were fully adult. All all three of my kids. My son was in college at the time, but all three of my kids are married. I really have a problem with the church having that amount of control over a family or a person's life. In my personal yeah, opinion, yeah, you, you think? <laughs> I I I, yeah, I haven't heard that like. I mean, there's examples of that in the Bible, but you don't see that. Like, you don't see excommunication. The only yeah, place I, you see it really is in the Amish out where we live in Pennsylvania. Or Scientology. Mennonites, uh, Amish, uh, Jehovah's Witness practice it with some regularity. It's very fundamentalist thinking. It's very narrow-minded. Yeah, I've never seen that here in California. Not one time. It's So I guess I guess that's, that speaks to 
the geographical area of which you you are located. It's yeah. like you said, very close-minded, very cult-like in some places. Yeah. So to do that, even to family, and it's it's they're they're yeah, they're doing no it in California. <laughs> Fellowship yeah, right. of Friends. That's the only cult we have here. No, it's it's a very uh, seldom used practice. It's it's really uh, not it's not that common, and and anyone who hears of it thinks they're just incredulous about it. But that went on for a couple of years, and I was still a Christian. And I went. We were my wife and I went to a different church, and I did all the things that I was that I knew to do: small group leading and prayer ministry. And I didn't get back in ministry. I just went to work in the insurance business. And so, now, did you feel like at the time that you had done anything wrong, or no? Or I had a hard time finding out what I needed to repent of. They wanted me gotcha. to repent, and so I made I made uh, we had these horrible meetings with our own kids and other leaders in the church, and they kept telling me I needed to repent. But we're not going to tell you what to repent of. God will show you. And I <laughs> I was scrambling, and I was asking other people, "What can I do?" and And so I did. I made some shit up to repent of. I mean, you know, okay, yeah, I was independent. I talked bad about the pastor. I didn't like him. I looked mean at him one time or something. You know, I don't even remember what I said. Just throwing whatever I could out there to get So you did try. You did. Oh, I I totally did. I totally did. I'm just amazed because that sounds cult. It is cult. To me. It's totally cult. that's, That's a branching away from... Orthodox Christianity. Yeah. Christianity. Like that's that's cold. Yeah. That's cold Pastor stuff. Seth would never allow that to happen in his church. I well, mean that's what the Bible says though, doesn't it? There are scriptures you can use to justify it, yes. And they did. So you can I mean you can make the Bible say anything you want it to. So we all true. know that. We all know that. So true. But essentially what that did, it caused me to begin because I was crying out for help from the denomination, help from local pastors. I was in touch with the president of Foursquare out in California, and he was acknowledging that this pastor is a problem. We're working on it, Dave. We're dealing with it. But nobody ever did anything because they gave him a lot of money. So anyway, what that did, it led me to begin to search. Okay, I'm not getting help from anybody on a human level. Am I getting help from God? Where are you, God? And and I really, for the first time in my life, tragically, began to really question the moorings of my faith and the origins of the Bible or the origins of Christianity. And I started doing a lot of research, a lot of reading, um, reading the Bible itself comparatively. And I put everything on the table and I remember thinking, okay, nothing is off limits here. No question is out of bounds. And I'm not going to ask questions with predetermined answers because that's what Christians love to do. Oh yeah, we all have doubts. We all have questions, but no, it's not a question if you already know the answer. You're just bullshitting yourself, and you're playing mind games. So I did that, and the conclusion after a couple of three years of that was that, oh, God's not here. He's not He's not helping me because he can't. And the reason he can't help me is because he's not there, and he's never been there. And that realization was, that, that led me out of the faith. That caused me to really um, search and discover that what I believed was a lie. I'd been fooled. I was at once angry and sad and disillusioned, disappointed. I didn't know a single person on the face of the earth that had been through what I had, and I thought, I don't know what to do. I don't know who I am. I don't know where to to go, who to talk to. Um, I felt completely lost and alone. My wife was still a firm believer and was going to church and really kind of doubled down on it and seemed like she was going to prayer meeting every night or reading a Bible study every night or whatever. And that, of course, led to our divorce. We divorced a couple years ago, and um, not of course, but in our case it did because we were just too far apart on the spectrum. And um, and then I, when I told my daughters, they had begun to kind of come around, and we had seen them a little bit. But then when I told them I didn't believe anymore and that I couldn't I couldn't pretend that I did, I had to tell people that were close to me what the truth was. And I felt compelled to do that with my, my family and my close friends. And um, so when I did that, they said, well, we can't be in relationship with you because mm. to do that would be to endorse your disbelief. And we need you to repent and return to God uh or we can't have a relationship with you. And that has continued to this day. Mm, that's that's really hard to hear. I couldn't imagine having three daughters myself. Like that that's heartbreaking to hear. I'm sorry, Dave. Thank you. Uh, and I have a question though, clarification, something that you said that really stood out to me about 
how you had started attending another church with you and your wife, but in this other church, I'm, I'm not sure if it was in the same denomination no. or outside of denomination. Okay, so were you able to find... Actually, he came out of Calvary Chapel. Oh, right on. <laughs> um, but but you still felt really alone and still weren't able to connect and find community there either? No, I, the, the, I found a lot of community there. Um, the feelings of aloneness is when I, I eventually quit going to church while I was doing this searching. And um, I wish I would have kept a journal or something because I don't really have the chronology in place. I did come across just this morning, actually, a letter I sent to my friends in February of 2014, letting them know that I didn't believe. So I think the process of unbelief or deconversion was probably from about 2011 to 2013, a couple of years of truly, you know, examining everything. And that's when I began to feel alone. When I, when I, when I realized, and it was a realization, a lot of people think it's a decision you make. It's really not. It's, it's a conclusion you come to. Yeah. And when I came to the conclusion that God wasn't there, um, that's when I felt alone. I didn't have anybody I could connect with on that level. And so I found that's how I found the clergy project. I, I don't know how I found one of the guys in that, but I, I think good old internet, you start looking around and I found this guy had written a book and he was in the clergy project and I got his number and we talked and I got in, I joined that group and I was actually on the board of that for a couple of years until just a few months ago. Um, I resigned after I got the diagnosis. Um, but it's a good organization. It really helps a lot of people. Yes. Tell us more about you know, what the clergy project was and what it, what it, you found there. Like you said, it sounds like you found the community and other people have gone through similar things at that point. Yeah. It's for clergy who no longer believe uh, and they can be present or past clergy. Like me, I was past. I was not presently in, in clergy or in the ministry, but uh, I'm, I'm a former clergy who no longer believes. And some of them are currently working and have lost their faith and they're they're kind of trapped trying to figure out how to make a living, that sort of thing. So it's a private online forum just to communicate with other people who've been through what you've been, to offer support, networking for job prospects, um, a lot of practical things like that, um, and just a place for people like me to land. Do they have any counseling services yes. for people who are experiencing religious trauma? Yeah, they do. They actually offer – there's a secular coalition there of, of counselors um, – because in some parts of the country, it's hard to find secular counselors. They're, they yeah. all are tied to religion. So they have a network of secular counselors, and they're off, they'll offer like 12, um, uh, 12 months or 12 sessions or something uh, free of charge. These secular uh, therapists will offer their services for clergy, ex-clergy. That's awesome. Yeah, it's really a great, great network. I can't say enough about them. We get when I was still on the board, we would get reports every month at at the um, at the meetings, and um, our meetings were like this. We'd be online with people all over the country, well, all, all over the world, actually. And we were getting uh, thirty or twenty five or thirty people a month coming in and interviewing to join. So it's a growing segment of the population that we're in. Yeah, I don't doubt that. And we'll definitely uh, do a little bit of research and put a link to that in our show notes for anyone who's yeah. interested in checking that out for sure. Yeah, they've got a public page and then uh, clergyproject.org, I think, um, or a, and also a, a public Facebook page. But the forums are private and, and very, very well guarded because a lot of people are not out. Now, Dave, since leaving the faith, would you consider yourself atheist, agnostic, how are you identifying yourself in these crazy years, and especially with this diagnosis, how are you identifying yourself uh, these days? Yeah, that's a that's a good question. I've, uh, for years now, this has been seven or so years, I think, of, of apostasy, um, another A word. But uh, <laughs> I, for a long time, I did the agnostic word because it's a softer word. People can, they, it's a little more palatable to your average American, another A word. Um, we could do a whole sermon here with the A words. You know how you do the, the all the letters start the same. You know, that's right. <laughs> God, that's such bullshit. <laughs> Alliteration, <laughs> right? Anyway, um, and you know, I was always I was always sensitive to my family. My family's all very evangelical. My not only my daughters but my brothers, my mom, my sister. They're they're all very disturbed about about this this thing in my life. Um, 
my atheism, but I tried to use the agnostic word for a long time just because it's easier for people to digest. But I've really started in the last year or so, especially, you know, in the last few months, because I'm really all out of fucks now. But I've just <laughs> thought, I thought, I want to take the atheist word back. I want to, I want to make it legitimate because it doesn't, it's not a bad word. It's not, we're not Satanists. We're not evil. We're not mean. We're not angry. We just don't believe in God. It's that simple. And, yeah. it, and, and so if we can just take the stigma away from that word. So I identify as an atheist and, and I'm clear on that now. And I'm, I want to say proud, but I just, it's not a, it is what I am. I, you know, I'm not going to deny what I am. And it's not like I, you know, I, I keep hearing, I see every now and then I don't have enough faith to be an atheist. That's the stupidest statement I've heard. It, it's not a faith thing. I, it's not, I'm not saying I believe there's no God. I'm saying I don't believe there's a God. Right. Huge difference in those two statements. Yeah. Right. The the whole idea that atheism is a religion in and of itself, I'm sure has to be frustrating to, to most atheists. <laughs> It's like saying a, it's like saying um, abstinence is another form of sex, <laughs> right? It's, just, it's kind of like how you explained it earlier about it's not a decision that you've made; it's a conclusion you yeah, came to. Exactly, it's like it's a journey that at the end of the road, it's like you, you can't deny at this point you'd be lying to yourself if you said that you believe. It is, and it's it's hard for people in that other camp to understand that. And I understand my daughters and my Christian family; they don't have. A category to put this in. They want to make it that I'm angry at God or that I'm running from God or that I'm he's disappointed me or whatever. They can't fathom that I just simply quit believing in him. Do you regret having had your conversion to Christianity and having had your experience with religion and <sighs> being a part of the Foursquare cult? Well, I was only part of the Foursquare cult the, the last 10 years or so. Most of my Christian life was in non-denominational, charismatic-type churches. Praise the Lord. But, you know, I, regret's a tough word. I hate that word, but I do regret a lot of things. And But to, to regret that would be to say I regret the bulk of my life. You know, 35 years or 38 years of a 63-year lifespan. That's hard to say that. So, I don't regret it in the sense that I look back on that and other things that we could say we regret. And I was just doing the best I could at the time. I was making best choices, best decisions based on information I had. I was a vulnerable, insecure 18-year-old young man, and Jesus came along with all the answers. So I just jumped on board, and and I jumped headfirst into the deep end. I was baptizing the Holy Spirit and speaking in tongues and preaching on the street and running coffee houses because Jesus was coming back next week. Say, that was during the Jesus movement, wasn't it then? Yeah, very much, in, right in the heart of it, 1973. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah, so, it was sweeping the nation and I got caught up in it. My question for you about the whole leaving the faith and the diagnosis that you have of the ALS, you know, you're full on proud to be atheist at this point. Do you ever feel like there was like God punished. I mean, you don't believe there's a God. So that's why I feel like yeah. there's an answer to this question already, but how do you not, how do you not wrestle with, is this a punishment from God? Do you ever want to like pray or is there, is there any, any urge at all to like run back because of fear mm -hmm. and so much as fear is tied into Christianity and stuff to begin with? Has there been any sleepless nights? It's a good question. I've been asked that question several times. Um, no, never, never, Never for a nanosecond did that cross mm -hmm. my mind. And that's not because I'm, you know, that sharp. It just, my exit from faith was that final. And and I don't have any, I've never had a doubt about, oh, what if I'm wrong? What if I'm going to hell? What if this? What if that? Um, and, you know, I've had some of my family members tell me they're praying for me. My brother's a, an evangelical pastor in East Texas, and he's done the the uh, passive aggressive thing i'm praying for you brother you know um and and i want to ask people like that what exactly are you praying cuz there's only two things they could be praying one that i'll be healed which has never happened in the history of this disease so we'd have a news story there two that they're praying that i'll get right with god before i die um so 
I don't know which of those or both. It doesn't matter. Most people, when they say they're praying for you, that's just lip service. They don't ever utter a prayer for you. They just say they're praying for you because then it makes them feel like they've done something. Um, the reason I don't think I, I've had no one in my life approach me and say that we, you know, obviously God's given you this because you're in rebellion against Him. Um, there's another uh, layer to this story. My uh, tragic comedy life. In that my middle daughter, my oldest daughter, the middle of three kids, has stage four cancer. And she's, you know, she's been battling it for three years. Um, she's, it's it's a rare form called choriocarcinoma. She just had surgery last week to uh, to take two lumps off her lungs. So she's battling for her life. And, um, but she's a fervent believer, fervent Christian, prayer warrior, Marathon runner before this, uh, CrossFit workout fiend, as healthy a human being as you can imagine. And so if anybody in my family or circle would would dare say that God has given me this, then what are they going to do with her? Yeah, good answer. So I don't think they can go there, even in their own minds, much much less say it to me out loud. Well, I think that that would also kind of pinpoint some of the fallacy of the Bible. You've got... Uh, a really great servant of God, uh, Job, who God just decides to play games with the yeah, devil, playing you know, chess like, with him. Exactly. That's so, what it sounds like. Right. That's kind of what it sounds like would be happening in your life too. Uh, if if God were real, uh, of course. That's I don't I don't believe God is real. I don't speak for fade to gray, but uh, I totally agree with you. I think that that's a really good way to put it, and certainly a good narrative. But with with your ALS diagnosis, and this was only just a few months ago, you seem to be doing really well with that. Did you have any period of struggle, or or um, did you feel any depression, or you know, how did you deal with that? Um, I do have my days. I um, I'm doing pretty pretty good with it overall. I think I uh, I'm a pretty positive person. Um, I've got a huge um, group of people in my life that love me, that are supportive. I'd say truly, we've got this, the podcast that Cass does in this studio is called Everyone's Agnostic. I don't know if you've heard of it, but you guys need to check it out. So now. yeah, it's, it's Everyone's Agnostic, which we've been talking about. We, it's a great name because everyone is. Um, but this online Facebook group, this community is formed around it all over the country, literally all over the world. Um, and so there's this family, so to speak, that is uh, huge and, and supportive. And we've also got a large group of ex-Christian atheists here in the Nashville area, and we meet once a month. It's like a, like an AA meeting, you know. We talk about what's going on and how what our struggles are, what our victories are. And that's really like my family, and... and um, so they've been incredibly supportive. So my immediate reaction to the diagnosis was acceptance. And I immediately quit. I retired from my business, quit working the insurance. I moved out of my apartment in with friends. And um, I, I made plans to live as long as I could, as well as I could, to travel, to see places in the world I haven't been, to get with people I wanted to get with, spend time with people I care about, the the really important things in life. True bucket list type shit. Yeah, but not just big things, but small things. There were two, when I when I rebooted my life a couple of years ago, I got divorced and, and moved out on my own at, at a late age. It was kind of like starting over in a lot of ways. And there were two maxims that I began to live by, and they were they were noted by a couple of things I had in my apartment. One was a little plaque on my bookshelf, that said, we do not remember days, we remember moments. And mm. that's what I started realizing life was. It's a collection of moments. There's no big, great, grand plan. There's no, God doesn't have a wonderful plan for your life. He doesn't have any kind of plan for your life. You have to make your own life. And in that life that we're living are great moments and little moments, if we're looking for them. And so I started grabbing the moments. I started living life for the moments and making the most of opportunities I had to, to to seize a moment. And the other maxim was on a pillow someone gave me. It says, carpe the fucking diem. 
<laughs> and so I've been doing that on steroids in the last few months. And so what I did when I got the diagnosis, I just embraced it, simplified my life, sold shit, gave shit away, moved out of my apartment, got life really simple, really lean. And I've been spending it just looking for ways to live life and doing everything I can to talk about how to live your best life, how to, how to make the most of what life you have. And that's why I'm doing these kind of podcasts and talking about dying out loud. And, you know, you, you can either run from death or you can run toward it. And it's not like a death wish. I don't want to die. I love life probably as much as anybody you know. I love soaking the, the marrow out of the bones like Thoreau said. Which is ironic because people would have thought that you being uh, helping with this this legal stuff in your state with assisted suicide, they would think the exact opposite, that you're just wanting out, but you're actually wanting to help people maybe live those last best days, but have the option of this as well. Yeah, and I want to live the good stuff as long as I can. I'm traveling a lot. I've got my, my calendar's absolutely jam-packed, and, and I'm going places, and I'm doing things. I'm, I've got speaking things lined up and like Minneapolis, Philadelphia, New England. Um, I'm traveling to Italy in a couple of weeks. I'm probably going to oh, nice. going to Switzerland later in the summer. Um, I'm doing shit. But now, here's the deal. This degree, this disease will get worse. Um, if we were to do this podcast a year from now, I might have trouble talking. Um, I, I, in a couple of years, I'll have trouble walking. And in a couple of years, I won't be able to wipe my own ass. So that's the reality of this thing. So what I'm saying about the assisted dying is simply when life gets to where it's it's so compromised that everything I do has to be done for me, and I'm just sitting around waiting to die, that's, that's fucked up that I can't yeah. exit on my own terms. Absolutely. That's just wrong. It's immoral. Right. So that's what I'm saying about that. Yeah. No, I 100% agree with you. I couldn't help but notice you said assisted dying, and I, I said assisted suicide. So I want to know, did had you heard of that term before you received your diagnosis, and when yeah. did you kind of switch up that terminology? And No, suicide's such a negative word. It's kind of like atheist. We don't like to talk about suicide. But anytime you take your own life, it's technically suicide. But what a, when a doctor can do it in a, in a legal way, in a state where it's legal or a country where it's legal, then it's doctor-assisted dying or doctor-assisted suicide. They're not actually killing you. They're helping you kill yourself. Right. Yeah. Two, uh, two stories that I remember from uh, being a child in the 90s was uh, Jack Gavorkian. Yeah. Uh, you know, everyone called him Dr. Death. And it was I think like, he's still in prison, isn't he? Uh, I don't know. I, I want to say that I heard he passed away, but wow. I, I, I'm not certain. But yeah, right. uh, you know, they called him Dr. Death because he was helping people um, with uh, assisted suicide. Right. And then there was also a man from Spain. I don't know if you heard of him. His name is Ramon San Pedro. They made a movie about him in the uh, mid 2000s called Mara Dentro or The mm. Sea Inside, but he fought for. He was a paraplegic who fought for 30 years for the right to assisted suicide because he obviously couldn't kill himself until, spoiler alert, he finally got a group of friends to help him do it in, in the late 90s. But yeah, that that's, you know, those are the two stories I remember hearing when I was a kid. And it was always in a negative perspective of like, yeah. you know, this is evil. This is a terrible thing. Uh, but the older I get, the more I realize that people ought to be able to do what the hell they want to do with their own bodies. Yeah. And if they're in a lot of pain and they have no dignity left, yeah, I can think of no other way that I would want to go out than to be able to handle that on my own and not be a burden on people and not die with zero dignity. So mm -hmm. I 100% agree with, with what you're trying to do there in Tennessee. And, and so in Tennessee, it is illegal. And are you working with any legislator or anything? Well, I just was researching that last week with some friends of mine who work on LGBT issues, and she looked it up and found that there's nothing in the works right now. So I've kind of got to start at zero with that, and um, I'm I'm going to be trying to – I'm meeting with her next week, and we're going to try to identify a couple of 
Congress people that she thinks might be amenable to uh, beginning a process of putting some bills out there and at least starting the conversation. And I want to, you know, get in a position where I can go before them and talk about this. And so it's going to be a long fight. And, and like, you know, it's it, those kind of things move really slowly. Sure. Especially in the heart of like the Bible Belt. down. There. Yeah, it's 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 brutal here. And that's something that you're willing to stay in Tennessee to fight, or do you plan on moving to one of the states where it's legal? Yeah, that's um well my girlfriend's gonna love this this podcast. Um <laughs> she just hates this when we talk about this. Uh <laughs> but it's real, so I've got to talk about it. And um what I I've recently found this thing that uh one of my friends found. You know, it's funny, you you know you got really good friends when they're helping you figure out how you want to die. Um in fact, on that note, I, I've just got to say, I've got I've got some incredible people in my life, and I'll probably get choked up here talking about this, but um, we're having drinks with, with three of my buddies the other night, and you know, this is when I talk about moments, when I talk about seizing the moments and recognizing the the powerful moments that we have in life. If we just open our eyes and see them, they're there. And we're having drinks, and one of the guys looks at me, and Eric looks at it and said, Dave, I, I want to ask you something. And I said, what? He said, I want to be there at the end. <laughs> wow. And I said, are you serious? He said, yeah. I said, why would you want to do that? He said, it would be an honor. And Brian said, I, I, I do too. I want, I want to be there. Would you allow me to be there? And I said, yeah, guys. It'd be an honor to have you there, but I can't believe you want to do that. And they said, well... Yeah, again, it would be an honor to be there with you at the end, and and I just that's the kind of friends I have, yeah, that aren't running from this, and that's the thing that I gotta say. Um, the Christians in my life do not know what to do with this, and all they can say is we're praying for you, and and they make they come around. You know, I've seen a few family members they've come to visit me, but like my pastor brother hasn't called, and he doesn't. You know, he texted to let me know he's praying for me, which I'm so thankful to God he did that. Um, <laughs> what would I what would I do without his prayers? No sarcasm there. <laughs> None, not at all. <laughs> but he doesn't know what to do with it. And and the reality is the evangelical Christians, and I want to qualify that because Christians, Christianity is like autism. There's a wide spectrum of it. <laughs> um, true. But... The evangelical circle that I was always in has this fetish for the afterlife. You know, it's all about eternity. And they don't know what to do with this life. And so that ends up, when you treat this life as a warm-up for eternity, it diminishes this life. And this life doesn't have the value that it should have, because it's the only fucking life we have that we know of. Mm -hmm. So... We need to treat it with care. We need to relish it. We need to savor it every single moment. And so the atheists in my life have run toward me in this, and they're not running from it. They're embracing it. They're getting in the middle of my pain with me, and they're saying, Dave, we love you. Can we hang out? We want to see you. They're calling me. They're texting me. been thinking of you. You know, the initial news wasn't, they didn't run from it. it. Said, "I'm heartbroken. I'm crushed. I'm here for you. I love you. Uh, I want to spend as much time with you as I can." That's that's the reaction that real people have with real life issues like this, and right. the, and the Christians just don't know what to do with it because they don't know what to do with death. They have some sort of caveat that they have to, you know, include God in the picture, or they have to include some sort right. of religious doctrine into the picture, and it's not authentic. They have to have an answer to everything. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Like, and try it, to find God in it. Where's God in this? There's right. a lot of they being thrown around right here. So, oh. Chad, we apologize right now. Like, Chad's in the Chad's <laughs> of this world. <laughs> so, um, Not everybody. But, but yeah, but I know what you're saying. I think, and I think, like, it's it's a blanket statement. It's a generalization. But there's a lot of truth in it. But I would also say, like, even, like, I think it sounds like you have a great support system. And, I mean, just to have like friends you know who are good, like they're telling you basically like we don't want you to be alone ever in right. this you know like that, that we're gonna be with oh you. that's where i got off on a rabbit trail there no so i'm not planning on going to one of the states where it's legal because i found out here's the thing suicide's not illegal right uh there's no law against me taking my own life 
Now, where the law is, if someone helps me take it, then they're accessory to a crime. So there's an organization called Final Exit Network. They're a nonprofit, uh, and one of my friends found it. And and he, uh, I got in touch with him. I've talked to him. There's a, there's a method that they help you with. There's people that they'll send to you. Uh, they're all volunteers. They'll come to you. They'll help you, uh, show you how to do it, how to administer. I'll, I'll, I'll spare you the details. But uh, what it is is you can do it in your own home. You can do it in a hotel room in your own city. You can do it out in a field somewhere. You can go to the beach and do it. There's no stipulation on on where you have to go because that was one of the things that was hanging me up if i went to one of the states most of them you have to be a citizen there for two years you have to be within six months of dying according to a doctor there's all kinds of regulations even where it's legal yeah so it makes it problematic you know toward the end so that's kind of where my head's at at this point Wow. Yeah. And that's, I'm thinking like, even though we were saying that it's hard for maybe charismatic Christians to wrap their mind around death, I feel like that stigma is more of a Western stigma, that it's it's something that like, it might be more extreme in some like denominations or some different charismatic circles, but it's like a hard thing for, because we don't do well with death in this Western society. It's like whenever like a family member dies, it's like, quick call like funeral arrangements or somebody to else to take care of it where in other societies it seems like they're better at taking care of their own you know yeah. that that it's not it's not like running from death it's kind of like spending time with the 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 body you know like after you know it's not a weird thing to see dead bodies to where it's like i'm 38 years old i've never been around like a, I mean, i've been to funerals and seen castigates but i've never like actually been around a dead body before yeah and, well, I think I think our aversion to death in this in the Western, like you said, the Western part of the world is because of the undercurrent of of Christianity here. I think I think I just think religion fucks up everything. I just put that out there. I just think it. I think without we'd be way better off without it. It it divides it divides people. It it causes us to think in ways that are not rational. All those things, and I think our our issues in dealing with death. I mean, the Bible says they call death an enemy. The Bible calls it an enemy. The last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. It's not an enemy. It's just the end of life. It's just a part of what we call life. There yeah. is there is something, though, like in faith. I would agree that religion is sometimes even the enemy of, enemy of faith. But in faith, I feel like there's a lot of comfort or peace that can be found, like in, in like the security that can be found. Like, that's yeah. why I would hate to like take that security away from somebody that, that needs that. And then now all of a sudden their the bottom falls out. But I would mm-hmm. also agree with you that like it, that you can still find peace in the, in your situation of, of knowing that there is no God or believing. Mm-hmm. No I'm hearing two different things. I'm hearing religion and faith thrown together. Are, 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 yeah. are, can we can we split those a little bit or at least define? I, I can't have one without the other. <laughs> Uh, I think I that's agree. a good point, Seth. Um, faith is more of an ideology. Religion is more of an organization. Right. So and the, or- the organized part of it is where it gets messed up. Because men, people in power, there's power, there's fear. All those elements come into play. Right. And you got to think about like every major terrorist attack or whatever has been, of course, I don't know the actual statistics, but most of it is due to religion. Absolutely. Yes. And wars, you know, Catholic, Irish wars, Muslim, Absolutely. you know, Christian, all this stuff. My ways, my ways right. Your way, your way is wrong. Mm-hmm. My God's bigger than your God. Can we have faith without religion? I think so. You know, I, I've, I'm of the opinion that if somebody wants to believe a certain thing about a deity or a divine creator or an intelligent designer or something like that, I don't have a problem with that. Right. Believe what you want about that. You know, if if that makes you feel better. Like, like I think Omar was talking, if it makes someone feel better and, and, and I don't mean to belittle it, but if that's a security blanket for someone and it just gives them a warm fuzzy and it makes them feel good, then knock yourself out. Have fun. Just don't impose that on me. Because right. it can also and, be tied yeah. to somebody's mental health too. I exactly. Mean, it, and I, it, and I, don't, I don't want to belittle that. So no, you're right. That's a good point, Omar. But if, if, if they're using those bases to make laws, to control women's bodies or to control who can marry who, that's bullshit. And that we got to call that out. 
And so that's where religion comes in. That's where organizations and doctrine and dogma. I hate dogma. I hate certainty. Preach. But but ideologies and 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 believing in something that that makes you feel better about your place in the universe. Knock yourself out there. Yeah. Well, what advice would you give to either a person who is currently a Christian, an atheist, agnostic, or whatever, someone who's questioning faith or religion, uh, what advice would you give to them, uh, someone who's going through the struggle of trying to figure all that shit out? Uh, I think listen to your gut. Um, A lot of people have a hard time letting, and this is from talking with dozens, probably hundreds of people over the last few years who've, who've exited Christianity or other religions. It's so hard to let yourself let go uh, because you've, you, you've known it. It's the only thing you've ever known. There is that security, that comfort that comes with that. But if you'll trust your gut, if you'll look around you, I, I had a woman um, that told me this and, and she was struggling and she went through a, a crisis of faith and was decon- deconstructing her faith, as she put it. And then she just woke up one day and she looked around and she said, the world pretty much works like it would if there were no God. And that was it for her. And and if you really are honest with yourself, you'll you'll have to admit that. That there's there's no evidence that there's any God anywhere doing anything for anyone, period. End of story, end of sentence. And if you if you can acknowledge that and just be honest about that and, and tr- not try to create some little anecdotal evidence that, well, my Uncle Bob one day, you know, one time he did this and God did that for him and something, you know, some little story. But that's not enough evidence to make an empirical statement like that. What's really funny is you would consider that magic and Christians don't like magic. No, I know. <laughs> What would you say to someone who would say, well, now, wait a minute, Dave, did you not have supernatural experiences in your Pentecostal or non-denominational churches? And I would argue that there's evidence, just not proof. Like, you know, you can say like, you know, the wind is evidence of certain, like, you know, you can't see certain things. Right. There's, there's evidence like, like even our desire to be loved and different things relationally. I think there's evidence, but I'm not going to, I'm not going to have to argue that. I'm just saying that what, what would you right. say to that? Yeah, no, I, I could prophesy right now <laughs> to you guys <laughs> like I used to do in my Pentecostal faith. I could, I'll, take, I could, I'll, I'll take a word. <laughs> I, I, I could give you a word and probably generalize it enough to hit 80% of it. And you'd go, Oh my God, God's reading my mail. Um, <laughs> I could speak in tongues right now. We read the same books, sir. I'm, I was yeah. AG, so okay, I know AG really well. Yeah. Um, so no, I look, I look at the time. I thought, yeah, I see God doing this, or I heard God say that. But you know, our minds are so um, complicated. I mean, think about dreams. When you're asleep, your mind is working, and you have no control over what it's doing, and it's going some crazy places. And we've all had dreams where we wake up and say, no, no, I don't want to wake up yet. She was just coming in the door. <laughs> or or we've had dreams where we wake up and say, oh, my God, I'm glad that was a dream. So, you know, our minds are, are tricky things. So we've we've all had experiences as we look back and say, well, I thought that was this, but turns out that was just that. So, yeah. no, I, I, I don't think I can point to any one thing over 35 years and say that's an unexplained miracle. All right. <laughs> <laughs> that's a pretty definitive answer, wasn't it? On that note, hey, it is. I mean, I'm sure that's going to ruffle some people's feathers, and I'm and I'm sure that's oh, I love ruffling cause, feathers. Cause it's all about people's experiences and how you kind of how your mind sees the world around you, you know. And as well as exactly when I was more devout in my beliefs, I could see miracles every day. And I would also argue the fact that like that we are breathing in and out like this moment, you know, there's all kinds of like life's a like, miracle. So, if you're going to put exactly, it in that category, exactly, right. exactly. And, and actually kind of like still have that philosophy and mindset set and just being grateful and gra- uh, gracious and like try to be at least in all circumstances, try to be, cause I'm not really that person always. Um, well, yeah. And miracles, you know, it depends on what you call a miracle. 
a miracle is the fact that I'm able to breathe and that life is beautiful. I mean, if we're looking at that as miracles, then yeah, they are everywhere. But if we're looking at a deity who 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 stepped in and did something for someone specifically because he's the only thing that he's the only one that could have done that and made that happen, then that's what we got. That's what I have a problem with. True. Okay. Well, and I I think there's some truth though in that, like when you get a new car. You start seeing the car that you bought exactly. everywhere. So if you're in that environment, you are more likely to be looking for specific things. Things that you may see normally and it's like no big deal. But if you're really like keying in on it, you can spin it. It's that good old confirmation mm-hmm. bias. <laughs> yes, right. exactly what it is. Right. And we're predisposed to think a certain way if we're in a certain camp. If we're living in that bubble, that's that's what we're going to be looking for. Mm-hmm. Fady Gray family, you heard it here. Seth Showalter was just converted to atheism by Dave. <laughs> hey, now, not entirely. <laughs> and, and I apologize um, to your girlfriend right now if this was a bummer of an episode. But I really oh, appreciate she's you used just to it being, by now. being candid with us. And I was actually kind of inspired by some of the things you said. And one of the things I, I wrote down was the whole seize the moments. That's so true. Life is, you only remember the moments. You don't, at the end of the day, you don't remember your bad days. You know, you, you can remember some the moments that stood out. And so if you can just be more cognitive or just more aware and when, when that moment is happening, then you can be just more present. And that's, yeah. isn't that really all we can do is be present with the people that are around us or the situations that we're in. That's kind of yeah. what I've been preaching for lack of a better word is, is, is talking about a lot. And it's kind of funny. You guys may get a kick out of this in our local group. Um, a couple of weeks, I mean, it, we had it, we have our monthly meeting and we had a meeting a couple of weeks after, you know, everybody learned about the diagnosis and everybody was still reacting to it and heartbroken and, you know, struggling with their emotions about it. And so this meeting that we had was very emotional and everyone was talking about me, <laughs> um, which made me very uncomfortable. But um, one of the women in our group said that she says, she says, I was out the other day and doing something and I was getting really frustrated and having a bad day and I just caught myself and I stopped and I thought, okay, Dave wouldn't get all upset about this. You know, this Dave's got some perspective that I need to focus on and, and he wouldn't be frustrated about this particular thing. And she said, she said, I just had to stop and think, how would Dave handle this? What would Dave do? And somebody across the room said, yeah, what would Dave do? Yeah, and someone else said, WWDD, we're going to yes. make bracelets. <laughs> and so... We've made bracelets <laughs> that say WWDD, and and let us know where we can get those. And uh, I'll, I'll uh, one. Yeah, actually, you can uh, connect with Marie on the everyone'sagnostic.com slash Dave, and they're part of them. I've got a page on the website. And what we're doing, um, the folks that have wanted to get these, they're just saying they're wearing them because it helps them keep perspective on what you were just talking about. Looking for the moments, not getting sidetracked with stuff that doesn't matter, making sure that you're soaking up the life out of every day that you can, um, grabbing the moments, recognizing the moments that are coming by you and slowing down enough to see them, that kind of thing. And and it's really, uh, it's kind of cool that at least right now it's caused people to, I've had quite a few people tell me that it's changing the way they're living their life. And I really, I really love that. It's, it's overwhelming to think that, but it's, it's beautiful. And so that's why I'm continuing to talk about this stuff. Carpe the fucking diem. Carpe the yeah. fucking diem. <laughs> I love that. I appreciate you coming on, man. It's been a pleasure meeting you. I mean, I would love to sit down, have a beer, catch up, like if we're ever like in the same area code remotely. Yeah, you guys plug my numbers in. Actually, I was just out in California. Um, I love meeting folks. That's one of the reasons I went out there. I wanted to hang out with Luke and with Ryan. We had a great night, a great moment. I mean, Luke seems a, a really awesome dude. Beautiful, beautiful moment. And um, pastor. Yeah, and so uh, let me know where you guys are. Actually, the everyone'sagnostic dot com slash Dave. There's my calendars on there. I will be in Pennsylvania in November. Okay, hey. I'm coming to speak at a, a, a meeting there in in. Uh, the Philadelphia area. My girlfriend's got a conference in Philadelphia, so we're coming. 
I think the like the weekend of the ninth and tenth of November. Seriously, man, you were a blast. Um, just your outlook on life and the way that you're handling things. One of the questions I I wanted to get around to it, I kept forgetting to ask it, was like, so how many credit cards did you open up as soon as you found out you were dying? That's probably <laughs> one of the first thing. Oh yeah, you know, you know what? I've I've already had about I had four of them already. But I see every time I do something, like I was on PayPal and it said, get a credit card. I'm thinking, why the hell not? <laughs> so why not? I think I'm going to run the shit up those, out of those things. And, and I'll just probably exit with about 50000 in credit card debt. Yeah, I mean, I heard you mention that you quit paying parking tickets. So I'll never like, pay another parking you know, ticket. Why no. not? Why, why pay credit cards either? <laughs> I can park anywhere I want. Imagine That's right. Well, enjoy the rest of your weekend, man. Um, you guys heard Have a blast here. in Italy, man. Yeah, thanks. Looking forward to it. I'm Alfie Coast. If Dave's in your area, check him out. Well, uh, Marie's got all the contact info on my Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, all that stuff. So you guys follow me on that. I'll be posting pictures where I travel on Instagram. I'm trying to post on Twitter more often about dying out loud and carpe the diem, carpe the fucking diem, those kind of things. Just kind of little reminders that we all need. Yeah, what would Dave do? What would Dave do? I love it. I love it. Thank you Thanks. so much, Dave. Thanks for coming Thank on, so Dave. Much, Dave. You guys were a blast. Thanks. Appreciate it. All right. Bye-bye, man. Bye. See ya. If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And MIDI can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com.